Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, we have God's answer for all of us who are like that publican. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you, Dave. I, I really enjoy the shows on television, the before and afters. Right, You see these folks go into a home, maybe they're flipping the house, maybe they're doing it for a client, and they go into a home and the home is, uh, is not uh, as you would want to live in it or as the client wants to live in it. They do work in the home, and once they finish the work in the home, they uh, then show the after pictures. So I reached out to someone in our church who's done that and said, would you send me before and after of your house? Uh, because I knew they had done that kind of work. And so you'll see that on the, the screen this morning, some before pictures. Here is a before in this house. Uh, another before picture. Uh, yeah, just keep going through. You see several before pictures. Here we'll get the after pictures. And uh, uh, it, it looks like some of the afters are already here. So I thought those were coming later, but... They're here now. All right, so, so, so you see before, and uh, yeah, let's just go to the after pictures. Check the, just keep rolling. Uh, check this out. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that, and then keep going. There we go. Absolutely beautiful uh, work done. There's a before on the front. There's an after uh, in the kitchen. Just keep going. There's an there's a after in the bathroom. I think that used to be a bedroom. And there's an after on the front. And so you see these pictures that of the before and the after. Well, Ephesians 2.10 is exactly that. It is our life before Christ. It is what God did. And it is our life after and that is uh, what Joe has read this morning. Three simple points that are easy to remember. And if you've been around, you've heard me preach the sermon before. Who we were, what God did, 
and who we are. And so uh, Paul doesn't paint a pretty picture here of who we were. He says, you were dead. That's the word. You were dead. These are blunt words, and the word dead literally means a corpse. All right, so there are not many of us who enjoy hanging out with dead bodies, do we? We don't enjoy that. That is not something that, uh, that we like to do. Dead people can't do anything at all. Dead bodies are powerless, and before Christ, you and I were dead. We were in a real fix. We weren't near death. We weren't sick. We were completely and totally dead. We were hopeless. We were completely without hope. And so the question is, if that is who we were, what brought about our death? What brought your death and my death? And Paul says, trespasses and sins. Now, I've had people ask me, what is the difference between a trespass and a sin? Because we see these words, they start to show up in the Old Testament, and there's a whole study of sin in Scripture and uh, in theology. And so when you begin to dig deep into the meaning of the words, here's where they land. A trespass is almost always a deliberate act of sin. Trespass is almost always a deliberate act of sin. You know you shouldn't do it, you're drawn in by it, and you go and do it. That is a trespass. The word sin means to miss the mark. All right, so you can sin both intentionally that's a trespass, and unintentionally, right? You should do something, but you don't, or you shouldn't do something, but you do. Sin comes so naturally for all of us that we sin multiple times when we aren't really planning to. We're drawn in, we're tempted, we, in the heat of the moment, do things or say things that later we regret. You've been there, amen? You've been there. So have I. So those things over time destroy. Sin destroys. Sin does not debilitate. Uh, it destroys. Uh, John 10.10, Jesus talking about the thief, says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You must understand that. Uh, Neil Strait has said, sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly, until all that is high is made low, until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It is drained of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin, then, is not wise, but wasteful. It is not a gate, but only a grave. Sin devastates. We don't like to admit this, but before Christ, we were helpless sinners, dead to the good things in life, dead to God's work around us. So the question is, 
how bad off were we? Paul mentions here the three enemies of every believer in two and three. They're mentioned, the world, the Satan, Satan, and our flesh. These three realities come together to produce spiritual death. So let's talk about what they are. All right, so we've identified sin. That's important. Sin is either missing the mark or it is a deliberate act that you or I engage in. We know to be wrong when we are doing it. But what are these three entities? And they're real. They come together. They serve to destroy. They serve together to to devastate our lives. Who are they? First of all, the world. The world can be defined as forces and influences that go against God. That, my friends, is the world. Forces and influences that go against God. How, then, is the world's message, is the world's power, uh, these forces, these influences against God, how do they get out? I would say today, the primary way that the world's message is out is media. It is the primary way. It's not the only way, but it is the primary way is media. We now are so connected communications-wise that Satan has mastered the art of media. His message now can go anywhere, 24-7, the message of the world and the influence of the world. It comes through social media. It comes through Instagram. It comes through Twitter, through Facebook. It comes through music. It comes through politics. It comes in any possible way that Satan can find to get out his message, he will. And he has mastered media. He has mastered the use of media to advance the message, his message of destruction. It doesn't come across that way, though, does it? It doesn't at all. You watch commercials on alcohol, and when you watch them, no one is staggering into their home at 2 a.m. drunk. Have you ever seen one of those? No, they do not exist. Commercials on alcohol do not show the guy with the big beer belly, do they? No. Everybody who drinks is skinny. Just look. Just watch Everyone who drinks is, if you look at these commercials on uh, 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 cigarettes or commercials now on vaping, which is the new pandemic among young people in our country, if you look at them, there are now well-crafted stories of people who have transitioned out of cigarette smoking into vaping, as if that is something we ought to celebrate. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But just watch the media, watch the commercials, watch how they work. It is a constant barrage. It is a constant communication. 
It is a constant message that your life will be fill in the blank. If you fill in the blank and people buy it again and again and again and again. Right? It would be so unwise of, uh, of Satan to, to go to a rehab facility and walk through. No, let's, uh, let's just talk about the medicinal advantages of marijuana. Let's uh, take that and lower, 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 right, our, our, our guard. And we'll begin to believe that it doesn't hurt anybody after all. We will talk on one side about women and how women should be valued as they should, and women should be uh, extolled as they should. And those same women who do that will celebrate uh, in the Grammys dressing half naked uh, as they go across the stage one after another, after another, after another. It is as if you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have your sin, but your sin won't bite you. It won't come back to haunt you. It will not hurt you. You are immune to it. If Satan can convince you that you, for some reason, will not experience the same consequences as someone else, when they do the sin that they do, somehow you've been granted immunity. He has accomplished his point. He has accomplished his purpose. And so it goes, right? The message of the world goes out. And we who sit here buy it, we pay good money for it. Teenagers trade their virginity for it. Wives give up their marriages for it. Husbands trade intimacy for it. We find ourselves dead. That's the world. Satan, enemy, is mentioned next as the prince and power of the air. Satan is the prince of the entire empire of evil spirits, of demons. He and they are real. Lest in your modern thinking or postmodern thinking, you have discounted the reality of a real Satan. Do not. He is real. He is at work. Now, I will qualify that by what I think is a mistake that is often made, is that folks tend to overestimate Satan. He is not omniscient. He does not know everything. He is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time. He is not omnipotent. His power is subject to that of God. But he has a host of demons who do his work. I would just say to you today that Satan cares nothing for you. He has not a single ounce of compassion, not a single capacity to love. He does not love his demons. He only, only seeks to steal, kill, and destroy 
He is after you. He is after your marriage. I'm not trying to spook you this morning. I'm just saying that his agenda has been clear from day one. What did he do in the garden? If I can divide Adam and Eve, I can do my, my work. And so he did. The third enemy is the, the flesh. The flesh is our sinful nature, right? Which always wants to do the wrong thing. All right, so this is a surprise to many. I, I'm so privileged to lead a group of young men at Montreat on Fridays through the book of Romans. We just sit around a table in, in Wendy's, uh, 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 where Wendy uh, manages the Huckleberry, and we just sit around the table and we go verse by verse through the book of Romans. One of the biggest surprises to these young men who are battling against their own temptations is that their sinful nature didn't get better when they got saved. They, they just didn't get that. They, they thought in their minds, many of them, that when they came to Christ, their sinful nature was no longer uh, desirous of sinful things, that somehow it, it, it just was completely changed. And uh, God does create a new creature, but the old sinful inclinations don't go away, do they? I mean, if they did, I think people would be lining up to be Christians, don't you? Right, if we said, hey, come to Christ and you'll never sin again and you won't want to sin again, people who are deep in sin would come to Christ immediately, but it doesn't happen like that. You come to Christ and your old sinful nature hangs around and nags and desires. Whether or not we want to admit it before Christ, we walked according to the course of those three enemies. We were, Paul says, by nature, children of wrath even as the rest of mankind. All right, so if, if we stop there, it's an ugly picture, isn't it? it? It isn't good. If you write in your Bibles, you should underline the next two words. What are they, class? All right, so are you excited about that this morning? All right, let me ask one more time. What are they? But God. How many of you? Uh, how many of you have had that but God moment in your life? How many of you, that moment where God came in and turned you around, amen? He turned you around. He, he did a work in you that nobody else could have done. He did something for you and in you that brought you out of darkness into light, that brought you from that side to this one. Uh, what, how is he described but God being rich in wrath? Is that what it says here? No, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Let's define some more terms. We've defined sin, both sin and trespasses. We have defined the three enemies, but let's jump in here and define some terms. Mercy is compassion. And God abounds, or he is rich with it. God overflows with mercy. It, it is his greatest supernatural resource is mercy. He is more merciful than you are. If, if somebody wrongs you and you are merciful toward them, uh, praise the Lord. But God is more merciful toward you than you will ever be toward anyone who has ever wronged you. He is great 
which is used to describe love, means abundant. It's where we get our word mega. Great. God overflows with mercy and love. I love that the holy God who hates sin loves sinners, don't you? I love that. I love that the holy God who hates sin loves sinners. I don't want a God who is okay with sin. I don't because sin has wreaked way too much havoc in my life. Amen? It's done way too much hurt, way too much harm. I don't want a God who's going to go soft on sin. You don't want a church that's going to go soft on sin. You don't want to live a life that is soft on sin. I promise you, I've spent enough time in my office counseling people. You don't want to go soft on sin. But I also love, love, love to preach a God who is great in grace. Amen? Love this. The holy God who hates sin loves sinners. Notice this. When did God do this? Even when we were dead. (laughs) Don't forget that. Paul doesn't want to forget our human condition. When we had nothing to offer. All right. That's what you need to keep in mind. All right. If we truly believe our prior condition before Christ, we were dead and God showed up. We could do nothing, and God showed up. So what did God's mercy and love move him to do? Three things. They're right here in the text. Number one, God made us alive with Jesus. He made us alive with Jesus. That's what he did. He made us alive. He he didn't make a sick person well. He made dead sinners live. Wow. That's why this series is called Reflect. There are times when you just need to sit and let this soak in. I was dead, and God, you made me alive. Number two, God raised us up with Jesus. He made us alive with Jesus. He raised us up with Jesus. Number three, God seated us with Jesus. He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us with Jesus. What is the significance of that? Reminds me of that Old Testament Uh, account. His name is the prophet Ezekiel. God lifts him up. He's over in exile with all the exiles. And God lifts him up and shows him a valley of what? Dry bones. He looks down in this valley of dry bones and, and, and they're just, they're not even connected. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. These bones are not even connected. They're just lying there. There's no muscle on them. There's no sinew. There are no tendons. There's nothing. Uh, Elijah just sees Israel strong like valley, like, a, like dry bones. And he looks and he asks God a question. Or God asks him a question. God says to him, can these bones live? Can these bones live? 
I know some of you have a son or a daughter, and you're wondering that same thing. Can those bones live? Some of you have a co-worker, and you're wondering, can those bones live? Some of you are thinking of your mom, your dad, your friend. You would love to join you three weeks from today and worship on Easter Sunday. Will they ever come to life? Will they ever come to see God for who he is and what he can do? And, and God looks at, uh, at Ezekiel and says, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's response. Oh, Lord, you know. You know what he's saying? I, I don't know. But, Lord, you do. Oh, Lord, you know. And this is, is, is what happens here. And God began to move, and these bones somehow found their match. They somehow found their match, and they connected one to another as they should and needed to. But they were lying there, right? Connected. They were lying there, connected, but no life. And God breathed into them. In case you're wondering, this is a whole other sermon, but let's go there for a moment. In case you're wondering, that word breathed there in, in Ezekiel is the same word used to describe what God did into Adam when he created him. And what God did into these dead bones in Ezekiel. It is the same word to describe the spirit who moved on the day of Pentecost. It is the same word to describe that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and that spirit will give life to your mortal body who raised Christ from the dead. That spirit lives in you and so when you by faith come to God in Christ what happens? He gives you life. He raises you up. He seats you with Christ. Wow. Notice what all three of these acts have in common. They happened with Jesus Christ with him. So this is our big challenge, isn't it? We think too low of ourselves. We, I'm guessing when you were trying to wrangle your four kids to get them to church this morning, you probably weren't thinking, oh, I'm seated with Christ. No, you probably were thinking, if you don't get in that car seat, you're going to see Christ. There is just something about life that just, just, just wrestles this out of us, doesn't it? I'm guessing long about Tuesday or Wednesday when you've had about all you can take from your staff or you've had all you can take from the kids in your classroom, you didn't walk in there thinking, wow, I've been raised up with Christ, I'm seated with Christ. No, it escapes us, doesn't it? Life has a way of just... And then, then you add the world, right? You add... This constant barrage of messages from the world. And all of a sudden, that's just going to be pulled out, pulled away. Just as Jesus was made alive and raised up with Jesus, you and I are made alive, raised to live a brand new life, and we're seated with him. We're with him. And, and I would say that's good company, amen? Yeah, if, if there's anybody I can be with now, until I'm with him then, it's Jesus. 
Romans 8, I think I quoted this a moment ago in that rant over there. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow. This is the promise before and after. We were dead. We're now alive. We were powerless. We now have power. We were insignificant. We were made to sit in heavenly places with Christ. We were alone and now we're united. What great mercy and love. And Paul begins to climb this high mountain for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Grace is God's love flowing freely to the unlovely, J.I. Packer says. Grace is God's love flowing freely to the unlovely. Stumbled across this a few years ago. So powerful if a young man is killed through some random act of violence and his father tracks down the guilty person and kills him, we would call that vengeance. If, however, the father calls the police and the murderer is arrested, tried, convicted, and executed, we call that justice. If at the trial the father pleads for the guilty man's life to be spared and the judge and the jury consent, we call that mercy. Now imagine this. In addition to pleading for the guilty one to be spared, the father actually appeals to the judge to release the offender into his custody and care miraculously gaining approval the father takes the young man into his heart and home adopts him and raises him and loves him as his own son that my friends is grace you and I held the hammer that drove the nails with our sin into the Father's Son. And while we were still sinners, dead, he showed up, pled our case, and said, I'd like to you to, for you to come live in my son's house. That's grace. So this morning, I would say to you, if you want to brag, brag on him. If there's any boasting, we boast in Christ. Amen? If there's anything to be said if there's any glory to be had in this place this morning, he gets it all. Amen? All of it. But God. But God. 
in light of our but God experience, we need to be reminded of who we are. And that's the third truth. We are his workmanship. That word, I'll say it for you in the Greek, is poema. It's where we get our word poem. All right, now, just in case you're wondering, uh, some of you are into poetry, probably not loads of you. I, I just muddled my way through that stuff in school. When we say poem, it's not roses are red, violets are blue. All right, I don't think that qualifies. Sugar is sweet, and so are you. No, that's a pathetic excuse for poetry. Poetry is highly developed artistic language. That's what poetry is. It's, the word goes back to that. Uh, rhyme is our English kind of way to go. If you go in Hebrew, it's totally different. The Psalms don't rhyme. Uh, they have different ways. If you look at Greek, if you look at different languages, uh, and then even in English, there, there are many complexities when it comes to poetry. So, so when Paul writes here, you are God's poem, it, it, is, it is something of significant complexity, artistic design that that once God takes a dead person and raises him or her to life, he begins to write a poem of that person's life. And it's a work of art. It is a beauty to behold. You are a new creation. A new creation. And this is what God intended all along. You see, you were born into sin because of Adam and Eve's sin. So was I. And we learned to sin without trying, didn't we? We learned to want our toy that our, our brother or sister had. You, you don't have to train your kids to be selfish, do you? It just comes natural. We tend to be that way. Um, but it, that was never God's plan. His plan has always been that you would be selfless. His plan is never for alcohol to rule your life. His plan is that you would be free of the control of anything other than Him. He never intended for you to waste away your life in sexual addiction. No, His plan is intimacy with your husband or wife. That's His plan. That's that's been his plan since the garden. That plan hasn't changed today. He never intended for you to be bogged down in workaholism. No, work became hard after the sin. I don't know if you have ever thought about that. Before uh, sin, Adam and Eve tended the garden. They worked in the garden. They, they took care of it. They named animals. They were, you know, the, the most remarkable zookeepers ever. It, it became hard later, didn't it? He never intended for you to be mastered by materialism. No, he, he wants you to have what you need. Young, young women in the room, middle school, high school girls, he... Never intended for you to give your body away to, to any guy. He 
He, he formed you and designed you to be admired one day by your husband. That's his design. It, it is. You are his poem. I would just take a moment aside to say here that if you're with any guy or any girl, who treats you other than the work of art that God created you to be, run, get out. You're, you're, you're God's craftsmanship. And God doesn't make any junk, amen? That That's who he's crafting you to be. If you're in a marriage right now where it has become the norm to tear one another down. Stop. Stop that. Get help. If your home has become a seedbed of volatility between siblings or parents and siblings, somebody make a decision to get off that merry-go-round of disaster and discover the help that God wants to give. One of our three overarching values at Grace is heart change that leads to life change. You say, well, Jerry, what, what should I do? If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then give your life to Him right now. Would you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed, cameras that are doing Facebook, they're not catching the audience at all. So don't worry about that. We're zoomed in. Don't worry. As a matter of fact, if you're watching by Facebook, this invitation is for you too. If you are here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never received the forgiveness of your sins. If you continue to live in the guilt of your old life, if you know that you are dead, apart from God and dead, and this morning, Perhaps unexplainable to you, the Spirit is pricking your heart. And you want to give your life to Christ. If you're on Facebook Live, somebody is there from our church, let them know. They would love to lead you to faith in Christ. They would love to see you come to know Jesus if you're in this room this morning, and that is you, and you say, Jerry, today I will not wait. I'm giving my life to Christ. Would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Uh, who else? Thank you. 
Who else? Thank you. I see three of you. Thank you. I see four of you. Who else? This morning, I am giving my life to Christ. I see five of you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? I see six of you. Thank you. You say, this morning, I am giving my life to Christ. I do not want to go on in my sin. All right, so if that is you, all heads are still bowed. Would you look at me if you raised your hand? Just look at me. I see you. I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. All right, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray to God right now. It goes like this. You can bow your heads now and pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. Dead in my sins. Today, I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my heart. Rule my life. From this day forward, I live for you. Thank you, Jesus. All heads are still bowed. The six of you, look at me now again. Here's what I want you to do. I see your tears, but there are tears of people all over the room this morning who are weeping tears of joy that you have come out of darkness into light. What I want you to do is two things. One, on your connection card, note that. Number two, if you'd like to talk to anyone this morning, we have folks We'll be glad to talk to you at the front as we dismiss in just a moment to share with you your next steps. We'd love to baptize you this Wednesday night, first Wednesday. We have an awesome baptism. People are waiting to be baptized now. We'd love, so just come see us. Let's, let's take this next step with you in this journey that you have begun today. For the rest of you, you can lift your eyes now. Would you celebrate with these folks who have trusted Christ this morning? If you are on Facebook Live and you've given your life to Christ, we will follow up with you there. Somebody is there now talking with you. We'll follow up with you. Oh, what a morning, amen? God, continuing to write grand poems of life change how awesome lord jesus we love you uh, because you first loved us you have done for us what no one else ever could do work as you alone can save to the uttermost do unbelievable work lord can't wait for this next service to preach this all over again. Can't wait for First Wednesday for this place to explode with joy as we walk 
new believers through the waters of baptism. That old song says, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus, no one is too hard for you. No one is beyond your reach. You truly can save. We pray this in in your great and glorious name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.